0: Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Better, Better Call
1: Daddy. Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my god, that's hysterical.
0: You're not gonna believe this. Oh, oh my,
1: my god. god. Five stars.
2: Five and a half stars.
1: Okay. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy.
2: Hey. It's a phony baloney.
1: And a tit for tatter.
2: Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs>
1: Introducing Eli Schwartz. He is the new author of Product Led SEO. He's worked for huge brands WordPress, Shutterstock, Quora, SurveyMonkey. Today he is going to tell us why people click. Eli, welcome. Hi, Rena. Hey, I saw how your video you? screen. <laughs> Good. How are you?
0: Doing well. So, is this your thing? You're just doing podcasts and promotion and
1: capturing attention. <laughs> Very cool. The pandemic has kind of changed things as far as what I was doing. How about you?
0: I'm just consulting. And the the book is my 262 page business card.
1: All right. That's one way of doing it.
0: I'm using my book to generate consulting.
1: There you go. I'm not a writer yet. (laughs) Tell me about that process.
0: It started by, I had this great team at SurveyMonkey and they would ask me advice on like how to do certain things. And I would give them advice and they'd be like, wow, well, we should write this down. Like, you'd be like, how do we tackle a challenge? The CEO's emailing and his question may be somewhat ridiculous. How do we respond to that question? How do we share data? And then I'd guide them on doing that process. So then I started writing these things down and then turning them into blog posts. And I'm like, well, there's a lot more of them here and I can string them together as you know, some thoughts. Initially, I wanted to publish my book a year ago. I was going to just completely self-publish it. And then pandemic hit. So I slowed down and then ultimately I decided to go with publisher We go with scribe. And it's sort of like a hybrid publishing model. And when I thought I was done with the book, it turned out I wasn't done because it needed like a lot more stringing together and a lot more coherent thoughts. Like my blog post ideas were just blog posts. So ultimately it became a good book, like a book that I'd sit down and read rather than like, you know, some thoughts so excited to like have people read it and like hear if they also believe so, but really a lot of it is like, it was meant to be a high level. None of what I put in the book really existed before. Most of the books on SEO are, are completely tactical and they're very, very few, there's, there's certainly blogs, but they're very, very few books that are targeted at the strategic level targeted at the, you know, the holistic level of how to approach SEO.
1: How did you get into that being your focus?
0: So that was part of my consulting. So from a consulting standpoint, I work with companies that sort of know the right thing to do, but aren't able to do the right thing because of organizational issues. Most of my clients are very large. Like my two biggest clients are public with multiple billion dollar market caps and everything is difficult for them. So like with big companies, things are difficult. So you kind of know the right thing. And then they're like, cool, that's the right thing. We're not going to do the right thing. Cause like, there's all these personalities to do. So that's what my consulting ended up being. I was at SurveyMonkey and I was getting these kinds of companies that reach out to me Probably the biggest company at the time was uh, IBM, when a a division of IBM reached out. And they sort of knew the right thing to do, but they couldn't do the right thing because you had all those personalities in place. And... I figured out that like that was something I could focus on rather than like what a lot of the SEO industry does is they're very focused on deliverables. Here's your audit, say, or like what's wrong with your site. Here's the keyword just focus on. Here's your content plan. I was better at like, here's how we're going to get from point A to point B by going through point Z. So doing those things. And working with companies like, you know, a company I'm working with right now, they've taken many, many months to accomplish what a startup would have done in weeks, but like that was a marathon that marathon had to be run. So like, if they weren't going to do it with me, they were gonna do it with someone else. And I don't think anybody else could have necessarily done that any faster because it's not me that's making them slow. It's not even an individual person that's making them slow. It's all of it together and the speed at which they work and and their existing infrastructure, existing hierarchy and, and organizational structure, like those all hold things back. So that sort of became my niche. And like, that's what the book focuses on is like, really, how do you think about these things? It's not like a collection of best practices it's how do you put together an overall strategy. And something i talk about in the book a lot is somehow seo became its own marketing channel. Like you do all these things for marketing, like you do your 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 social media marketing, you do your paid marketing, you do your brand marketing and you measure that by certain metrics. But then seo became this other channel that had its own metrics. When i think seo certainly for big companies is it is a one of the stools of a market one of the legs of a stool of a marketing channel of the entire acquisition funnel and it fits a certain place in that acquisition funnel and should have the same metrics and same returns as everything else in an acquisition funnel. And if it doesn't, then there's something wrong with the way you're approaching it. So that's a lot of what I focus on in the book is like, don't invent new things. One of the things that people invent for SEO is your rankings. Like, where do I rank on search? That's the most important. And that's actually not important. Like I've worked with many clients that they introduced me to their rankings and they're very excited by their rankings, but their rankings no drove no revenue. So what's the point of a ranking unless they get paid on rankings, which no one does. Right. So like they're not getting paid on that. It didn't drive any revenue. Certainly they were visible. Many times people didn't even click through because it was irrelevant. So it didn't do anything. Whereas if we think about it, like, okay, who's the customer? Where's this customer searching? They're using search, which search platform, right? It's not even guaranteed they'll use Google. There is a demographic of people that use Bing, right? It's not a lot of not a large demographic, but there's a demographic. So if that's your demographic, then you focus on Bing. If it's not, then you focus on Google. And then try to understand what they search when they're in that frame of mind. And if they're not searching for the product, and again, one of the products I found or or categories I found doesn't work so SEO doesn't work so well, is B2B. So SaaS B2B. The reason is the more expensive it is, the less likely SEO is gonna be a good fit because no one's going to Google something and then pull out a credit card and pay a million dollars. Like it's just not going to happen. It fits a certain place in the funnel. I think it fits better on like a branding part of the funnel. You go to a conference, you get introduced to a brand and then you come off the conference and you go and Google it. You want to find what you Googled, right? That's where I think SEO makes sense. But say you're searching for like cloud hosting, like um, Google Cloud or uh, Microsoft Azure or AWS. There's three companies, three big companies in the world that do that. You're not making the decision based on who ranked number one. So in that sense, you would want to make sure like, oh, I want to compare pricing, I want to compare support, I want to compare security. So you're producing that kind of content, but that's really, really low in the funnel, you're not actually converting those people. So like, that's what I think is important to focus on is like, do you need this channel? If you do need this channel, how are you going to use this channel? And how are you going to optimize into that and build out the right customer? Because that's what it's all about. If you get, if you're not getting customers, don't really invest in it. And, you know, there's a mistake around SEO, which is, it's free. And SEO isn't free, because you do have to make an investment, you have to make an investment in technology you make an investment in employees and, and, you know, content. So yes, maybe like when all is said and done, you don't pay for that user that comes to you just like you do when you're advertising. But you did pay like it was not free.
1: How do you find a good SEO
0: person? So that's a a hard challenge. Because many people in the industry, not just SEO, but in digital marketing, think of SEO as like these strict deliverables. So companies will hire an SEO agency that will supply them deliverables, and they may or may not do well with that, or they may not. I think you have to find a good product person and have that good product person own this channel. And not being SEO expert, they should be someone that understands the product, they should be understanding the users. And that's the name of my book, product led SEO, be someone that understands users, understands how to create content, understands how to write the right kind of content. And just think of this as a marketing channel, that is a product, and not just, you know, I need an SEO expert.
1: How did you learn all of this? Oh my God, so much time has passed since we (laughs) have known each other. There's like so many of your chapters that I want to know because you don't have like this typical background either. Like how did you arrive at what you're doing now? Like, can you give me a little bit of that journey? I want to hear about Singapore too.
0: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So I arrived at this particular journey by working at SurveyMonkey, which I don't think I was working at when you left Alto. So I was working at a startup with Husky. Yeah, so I worked at his startup and that was a whole different kind of SEO. So like that was kind of like... You know, growth hacking SEO, bootstrapping SEO, a little bit of dirty SEO. I learned a whole different kind of SEO there. And then we got hit by a Google penalty. And I suddenly figured out that like, when you want to build a sustainable company, it's worth millions of dollars. You don't really do that kind of SEO. You want to like think about the user and, you know, technology plays, plays a good role in it and everything has to work together as a key component to the company. So I rebuilt and relearned everything I did about SEO. After about four years there, I was looking for another role. And I was fortunate to see a opening at SurveyMonkey and it was advertised on LinkedIn by the person that had hired me at the company that I worked at previous to Hesky, like Hiker Media. So I reached out to her directly. Now I may not have gotten into SurveyMonkey without that contact. So I reached out to her directly on LinkedIn. She responded. She called me the next day. I'm walking around on the street, just like, you know, walk and talk. And she's like, all right, good phone interview. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then she brings me to the hiring manager. and you know, the rest was history. Like I was fortunate, like I made it past all those screens because I I knew that recruiter, I find that a lot of my career is like this. It's not, there's a lot of luck always. So that's how I ended up serving monkey. Now uh, this part is all in the book, which is the way I learned this kind of SEO is like, I wasn't going to be able to do what I was doing at the startup. I had to go and, you know, learn how to collaborate and, you know, think about the big picture and think about things in terms of, months and quarters and years rather than minutes and hours and days and weeks maybe. That's how I got into what I was doing and learned this process. So like, yes, a lot, there is a lot of like SEO knowledge I gained, but it was much more around internal diplomacy and product thought and analytics that I had never really known before. The Singapore piece was a mistake I made. So I started doing international SEO at SurveyMonkey. Which is fascinating. I love international things. I love like learning not new languages but new words. And I thought this would be like a developing area. So like internet like America would care more about international. Maybe America would go through a recession and we care more about international. So I wanted to like be an international expert. I never wanted to be one of those people that wanted to tell you something that I was an expert at without really knowing it. So I wanted to be an international expert, but I couldn't very well claim to be an international expert if I didn't really leave the country. So I went through a thought process of where can I go? And you know, we landed on Singapore because you can spin around in a circle in almost anywhere in America and you can find someone that is French or German and they can be your international experts and they can be that marketing person if you're looking to expand in those countries. I didn't find the same necessarily for Asia. I thought, well, this could be an interesting place to go. And then thought about where in Asia could we go? And it came up with two places that spoke English and were first world. And that's Singapore and Hong Kong. I just realized you don't have my book, but you'll have my book. Okay. Everyone that's listening will have my book because it's going to be out in six days from now. So I dedicate my book to the CEO of Dave Goldberg. And this is the story of why. I had this new job. I was hired to be the, the head of an agency team at a large global agency headquartered in Japan. I was going to lead a team in, based in Singapore and run all of Asia for them, Asia and Australia. I wasn't that excited by the job because it was an agency. However, they were paying for the move. So I went and gave notice at SurveyMonkey that I'm leaving, You know, super grateful to my manager, learned a ton of things. I was there probably two and a half years, three years at the time. Super grateful to my manager, learned all the great things, loved everyone, so sad that I have to leave, but I'm going to fulfill a dream. My manager said, not okay. You can't leave the company. And I said, well, that ship has sailed. And she said, okay, I'm going to go talk to Dave. Dave is the CEO. So she goes talk to Dave. And then I thought like, okay, that's this is dumb, right? Like she has to, you don't just talk to the CEO. I mean, there's a smaller company at the time, probably maybe 300 people. You don't just go talk to the CEO. You have to like schedule time with the CEO and like, then maybe you can talk. So I, I thought like, okay, so she'll get on his calendar and then he'll thank me for my time and we'll call it a day you know, I'll be grateful. And I'm pleased that he's wishing me well. So 20 minutes later, she texts me and said, Dave wants to see you. I was pretty surprised because like this had all hurt happened a lot faster than I expected. So I go to meet him in his personal conference room and something very, very special about Dave. I don't know if I ever shared this in an article, but a lot of people know this about him. He was one of those people that he always paid full attention. He had a BlackBerry that he'd sort of like have in front of him and spin around circles, but he never came to a meeting with a laptop. He always paid attention. He looked at you. you know, it's very rare for a leader to do this. He asked me to meet in his conference room. Again, not a scheduled meeting. It's like, come on, show up right now. I show up in his conference room. He's there alone. You know, no computer, no BlackBerry even. And he said, "I, I heard you're leaving. Just want to let you know that you can't leave. I'm not allowing you to leave." I said, "Well, you know, I don't want to leave, but I'm going to Singapore. And SurveyMonkey doesn't have an office in Asia, let alone Singapore. So, as much as I'd like to stay." I can't. So he said, okay, give us six more months. So I said, I, I can't give six more months. My house is already rented and I'm sleeping on an air mattress for the next three weeks. Like my car is being sold. I have nothing. So then he said, okay, I get it. You're really committed to this international thing. I just want to let you know that Singapore is the worst place you can move to. It's the dumbest idea. You should absolutely not move to Singapore, but I'm willing to send you anywhere else in the world. I'll send you to Sao Paulo. I'll send you to London. I'll send you to somewhere in Germany. Paris. So I said, no, I, you know, a year of thinking about it, decided Singapore was the place. I said, I I appreciate that you are willing to do this, but I, you know, as much as like, I am touched by this, it's not going to happen. He left at that. He said, okay, let me think about it. That night he emails and he says, I've got it. You're going to Singapore. I've reached out to our board member and they have an office in Singapore and you're going to go there. And he emailed the board member. Again, I didn't say yes, right? So he emails the board member right after with me on CC. And he said, uh, I'm sending an employee to Singapore and Eli's going to sit in your office. Thank you very much. You know, so then from there, it was a little bit of negotiation with my manager. because, like, you know, this was all hit my by surprise. What ended up happening was he had decided this on his own. No research, right? That he's going to be sending me to Singapore. It turns out that in order to send me to Singapore legally, they had to create an office in Singapore. I couldn't just be there. He instructed the legal team to instantly create SurveyMonkey Singapore. I found out this afterwards that he had to put a whole bunch of money in a bank account because you can't have companies without money in bank accounts. They don't want to make sure that you don't run away with it. He also instructed the HR team to make sure I had the best health insurance possible. Because his employees go there to Singapore and to any country and they should have good health insurance. And I'd even like I was amazed by like how willing he was to do this. And I'd even said, well, I would even say, why I could just go as a contractor and he said absolutely not. I will not accept you being a contractor you're a full employee. If you go as a contractor you lose your stock I need your stock to continue vesting and we're going to make this happen. I go off to Singapore and not only did he send me off and make sure like I got a raise, I did, I had to be a managing director of this SurveyMonkey Singapore office. I had to get a 30% raise. So not only did that happen, he insisted that I was his project. So I reported to a VP of marketing who reported to CTO who reported to him, the CEO. He insisted that this was his project and I was going to meet with him regularly one-on-one and talked to him about all the things I learned and he was fascinated he was interested he sent questions when i found out interesting things he i emailed him he wanted to know about them unfortunately he passed away 3 months after i got there so that was like doubly heartbreaking for me obviously i didn't know him that well before but like he had personally invested in this project and that was amazing. And again, like the lengths he went to make sure that like, it was his project. It was his thing. He was going to be correct. Like he didn't want to go to Singapore and he continued to tell me how dumb it was that I was in Singapore, but like, I wanted to go to Singapore. And that's the way he was. He informed me that it was a bad idea, but it was, it was my idea. And therefore he was going to support me. And that's what was absolutely so amazing about him. Afterwards, I found out like, you know, how so many other people had exact same kind of stories that where he just bought into their dreams. So that's why I've dedicated my book to him because like, he enabled me to become an entrepreneur while I was not an entrepreneur. It enabled me to like, you know, take ownership of my own future while I was an employee at his company. You know, if not for him, this book would not exist. A lot of my career would not have taken the direction it went.
1: Wow. Talk about a dream. He really gave you a dream. That is unbelievable. I saw you post about it like after he passed away, but I had no idea the depth of that relationship. How special.
0: In general, he was a very special person. When I joined the company, he took an interest in everyone. He took an interest in all the employees. And they, a lot of people say that about their CEOs. And I think what's interesting is like, maybe that's like the veneer they put up with him. It was real. Like he would go in an elevator with an employee. He knew employees names and he knew what they were working on and asked them what they were doing. I think he may have been a minority owner or, or affiliated as a minority owner with the Warriors. And he had these Warriors courtside tickets and he'd give them out when he didn't want to go to the game and give them out as rewards. And like. Again, me as a junior employee, when I joined the company, I was still reporting three levels down or four levels down from him. He'd given me those tickets twice.
1: That's amazing. I want to know, like, what are some of the things that you learned that you shared with him?
0: It was such a shame because I was only there a short amount of time. You know, I learned about the market and learned how different the Asia market was from the way people did surveys in the US. Like, One of the things that I found in Singapore around surveys was they use survey responses as a KPI for caring they didn't really have an innate customer satisfaction aspect to their culture. So for example, like I bought a TV and I paid for this TV. And as I'm right after I paid the cashier comes around the counter with a razor blade and cuts open the TV. And I'm like, Hey, what the hell are you doing? I, I just bought this. And he's like, I want to make sure it works. So I said, well, what if it doesn't? He's like, then I'll give you a new one. So I'm like, well, why can we do this at home? He's like, because once you take it out of the store, then you don't get a new one. That idea of like people borrow TVs from Walmart and Costco and use them for 30 to 90 days and bring them back. It doesn't exist in Asia. And the reason Walmart and Costco do here is because we have a customer satisfaction environment and culture and companies lose money on that.
1: How was it moving your family international?
0: Well, we we're always into adventures. So that was, <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my God, that is an adventure. And are you back in California now?
0: No, we're in Texas. We're in Houston.
1: Oh my God. We escaped really? Just like
0: everyone else.
1: So how long have you been in Texas? Since July. Wow, that's an adventure too. Yeah. Did you get a truck yet?
0: No, I didn't get a gun either. And I just got Texas license plates. I avoided it for as long as possible. Sorry to all the Texans listening here, but I want it to be unique.
1: Oh my God, that's hysterical. I actually have family in Houston. So I am really curious, like you said you've worked at a startup and then you work with these, you know, Fortune 500 companies. Like, I feel like I need a 101 on like somebody who wants to learn about seo like do you think it's important for podcasts do you think it's important for startups like how would you even start with seo for healthcare?
0: you really want to understand whether your customer will be found on search on organic search i would invest in whatever channel people are going to be finding you so for example would i do seo for my book potentially not because people are going to find my book on Amazon. So I'll do Amazon SEO or I'll do Barnes and Noble SEO. But do I expect people to be Googling for SEO knowledge and roll across my book when there's so many other websites out there? Yes. Maybe I should cover the basics, but that's not going to be my primary channel. I would say the same for a podcast people might not necessarily be using Google as the primary avenue for finding a podcast. So I'd optimize the basics, and that means your title tag and using some basic keywords. But to really put go all out with like content marketing around the podcast or building links to the podcast, I wouldn't do it. Now going over to healthcare, it depends what kind of healthcare it is. If it's a new kind of healthcare innovation, no, I wouldn't do it at all because people aren't looking for that innovation. If it's generic healthcare, it's a doctor, then I would do basic local SEO. This is what I think is really important. And many, many people miss this when it comes to doing SEO. SEO is really about being visible on search and people finding your website on search. Now, if you don't have the good follow-on experience, all the effort you put into SEO is lost. So many doctors don't have great websites. So they may do a great job of bringing people in. And let's say they're able to rank on I don't know, chiropractor in Houston, and then people come to their website and it looks shady. So that's a waste. Should a doctor invest in a great website? And then you start going down this road of like, well, you now you need to invest in a great website. Now you need to invest in SEO. Now you need to invest in content marketing. How many patients are you even going to get from that? And that's why I say it's important to really understand, is this a good channel for you? If I were a doctor, maybe I'd invest more in my referral network or maybe, you know, getting people to give me good Yelp reviews as good or bad as that may have to be. But to really build out SEO as a channel, again, you need that optimum landing page experience. And, and I think in many small businesses, it's the same thing.
1: So do startups come to you for this kind of advice?
0: Yes. Most startups, I continue the conversation and I recommend that they come back at another time, but most startups... I think that, if, and I address this in the book, if they have a finite amount of money, this wouldn't be the channel I would put that finite amount of money in, unless they have what I call a programmatic and scalable approach to SEO. Let's say you're, and I have this in the book, but like, let's say you're Zillow 20 years ago. Zillow 20 years ago, they're competing in a competitive real estate and mortgage space. They're never going to be able to succeed organically against all those competitors. Maybe they would succeed you know, if they did advertising against again, all those mortgage competitors. But what Zillow did was they created a programmatic and scalable effort around SEO, which is they built out a page for every single home address in the United States, that's SEO. So if there's a channel to build that out, I would, but you need deep pockets because that took them years to pay off. It took a considerable effort to build those pages. And again, there's no instant gratification with it. So if you're a startup with a finite amount of money, you most likely want to put all that money in employees, not marketing channels. You want to make a great product so people are referring other people to your great product. So SEO is something that's going to take you many months. You may not even know if you get it right. That is usually not where I'd invest. I'd invest in paid marketing first, acquire those users, learn if those users are going to be good for you, learn what issues you have with the product, and then take that, build up a little bit of a war chest and then go into other channels. SEO is not the only channel I'd ignore. Like, you know, think about influencer marketing. Influencer marketing could be a good thing, but is that something you go into right away before you have product market fit? So again, build up that war chest, figure out who your influencer should be, figure out what they should be saying, and then you move over to that.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting that you brought up influencer marketing because I feel like a lot of e-commerce tries to do that. Once that influencer says, oh, buy this once, like unless you continue with them, like you might have one good sales month, right? Like does that really work long-term?
0: Probably not. I mean, SEO is going to be the same thing. Like you put all that SEO effort in, if you're not going to be driving customers because you don't understand how to drive customers, it's not going to be the best channel for you. And what I would say in general channels, Once you acquire users, if it's a recurring purchase, focus on retention, focus on your email channels, shore up the base, and then start working on new channels like SEO, like influencer, like brand marketing.
1: I am really interested in what you said when you worked for Hesky and you said that there's bad SEO and there's like some growth acting tactics, because I've talked to people now that are obviously doing that.
0: Yeah. So Google's an algorithm, which is attempting to imitate humans. So Google's ideal is if they could create, if it would be the perfect human curated directory of exactly what you want, when you want it. And think about like, I'm not making this up. Think about what the Google Assistant is. Think about what Alexa is. Think about what Siri is. Those are things that want to serve up exactly what you want, when you want, based on who you are. That's where Google wants to go. They'll probably never get there. In that process, there are loopholes, there are hacks that you can figure out. And that's what too many people focus on is like, what are the short-term things I can do? And that will constantly change as loopholes close, as loopholes open. One of the most common loopholes that people take advantage of and i don't think works anymore but I, you know i'm open to people disagreeing with me is links so when google was first created in let's say i think it was 98 99 their innovation around all the other 50 search engines was that instead of valuing websites based on the keywords that were jammed into the page or what the website name was because directories were really important at the time is they use links like who linked to who to evaluate the importance of a website that was again, coming out in 1998. It's 2021. It's 22, 23-ish years ago. The approach to links is almost the same as it was 23 years ago. Let me get the most authoritative links to my website, even if I have to pay for them, even if I have to sneak them in, even if I have to hack them into someone else's website. I'm pretty certain that if you look at like all the innovation that Google has come out with, they have made decades and decades of improvement. And again, it's only 23 years, but like they've leapfrogged everything we could ever imagine when it comes to AI and understanding these links. Many times I see, you know, some links that agencies have built and I'll, I'll look at the backlinks to see if they're getting the product. Within one second, I can tell that those links are fake. You go to a website, which has hundreds of blog posts, you know, they're talking about pet medicine and then they talk about real estate and then they talk about chiropractors and, you know, in, in Boise, Idaho. And then they they talk about personal injury attorneys in Dallas, like. That is a website that is built just around links. There is no theme. There is no readers. There is nothing there. The same way I can look at that and say this is garbage. No one's actually going to come here. Google's AI can likely do the same thing. And not to call out specific websites, but I will. But like you know, websites like Forbes. Forbes is a very authoritative, you know, well-respected magazine. But they do have a contributor platform, which not anyone can get in but a lot of people can get into that may not be as authoritative as, as some of their magazine writers. And many of these articles do have links in them. Now, the same way that anybody else reading this can say, oh, this is a weird article. How does Forbes even publish it? And again, many of these articles you can't even see on Forbes because Forbes, you know, it's a big website with hundreds and hundreds of articles and they don't necessarily surface them all on the front page. The same way that I as a human can tell that it's fake Google's AI can likely tell that that is fake.
1: I mean, you got a huge response on LinkedIn about your book. So I would say that like your audience is there. So would you consider doing like a sponsored ad for your book there? Like, do you feel like that would be beneficial?
0: My approach to advertising in general is like, it has to be the right things. Like if I thought of the right way to do an ad on LinkedIn that didn't seem spammy, certainly. But if it's like growth hacky, it diminishes your brand.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Will was like, when I told him that I was interviewing you, he was like, didn't you get kicked out of high school? Yeah. Something that jumps out of my mind was I remember Shauna saying, if you don't make a million by the time you're 30, then you haven't made it. Didn't she say something like that? Like she was really putting the pressure on you to like be successful, but you guys <laughs> like beat your own drum and were like doing your own thing. And I like that.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny is most of the clients I work for now would never hire me. So as a full-time or never would have hired me in the past.
1: I love that. I, I kind of feel that way about my biggest client right now too.
0: Doesn't bother me. They pay me more than if they would have hired me and I can, I'm, you know, more flexibility.
1: Wow, but you've gotten street cred from like some of the companies that you've worked for and the work <laughs> that you've done. And did you speak at Content Marketing World too?
0: Twice, yes. I've done a lot of polls on LinkedIn because I'm actually curious and I get a lot of reach on LinkedIn and I get thousands of votes sometimes. But I did a, a survey on LinkedIn about like what's most important for a conference, whether it's the speaker, the content, or the brand of the speaker. And most people said it was the content, but I think a lot of conferences care about the brand. So it's easier to become a speaker at a conference if you have a brand. And I'm hoping that having a book will make me a brand without having to use my clients' brands.
1: I love that. I definitely think that it will. What would you say is next for you after this book? What's the next dream?
0: I don't want to productize what I'm doing. And I think there's a big gap in many companies needing to build out SEO as a channel and not just kind of growth hacky ways. So I want to figure out a to productize it and like not scale up an agency, but scale up teams and like train people to do this with the book as like the foundation.
1: All right, well, I'm definitely going to read the book. I'm totally interested in seeing the next chapter. Let people know how they can connect with you, buy the book,
0: The book is available on Amazon during launch week. I believe the Kindle version is 99 cents. I personally don't read Kindles versions. I love paperback. There's also hardcover. I also noticed that the book is available for sale in many other stores. So I just stumbled across a walmart.com link, which is really cool. Never thought I'd have a product at Walmart. You can find me on my website, elishwartz.co. And then I have a website for the book, productledseo.com, which my friends at Wix were so generous to make for me. And is a beautiful website, far more beautiful than... I could have ever made myself. The book is targeted at anyone that wants a better understanding of search engine optimization SEO in their life or in their work or in their career in general. So it's not a tactical book. I intentionally did not write a tactical book. I
1: love that. Okay. So one thing too, that I do on my show is you can ask my dad a fun question.
0: What would make your dad want to click on something from Google? Like what jumps out at him? And I think for all the listeners, it's important to remember the customer. It's not about being number one. It's important to remember why would someone click? And if they click, are you satisfying that click?
1: Well, this is so much fun. Thank you so much. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa.
2: This is an interview with Eli Schwartz with Rena Joy. It's a very interesting conversation. It's a follow-up on his book of how he dissects management's way of pursuing their product and what channel can you advertise it on where you're going to be effective and be able to find customers. Very interesting situation because everybody wants to be able to resolve that issue if you're running a business. You want to be able to get your service or your product out there and be able to satisfy customers online, which is the wave of the future, where they are going to come to you in this new stream of communication. In my case, I still think that it's more effective if you can actually meet people and be able to show your product and be able to also give that personal touch. But in this marketplace, you have to be able to be more creative. And be able to get that personal touch and product and continuity of your service where people can just click on it and say, Hey, this is where I want to be. And how do you get people to have confidence in you by clicking you?
1: That was one of the questions he asked you. What gets you to click?
2: Well, it's a very interesting story. And in my case, if I'm looking to buy, whether it's a car, a truck, or a coin, or whether I want to try to buy product, or I want to try to find a customer that I can sell my product to, you have to be able to somehow get enough background information from the computer to be able to want to do research on it. I have a lot of the information from trade magazines, or going to different trade shows and try to see if I can penetrate and get that information beforehand and be able to hopefully present myself, I prefer to present myself in person. It isn't easy. And I don't really have necessarily or able to dissect things the way Eli does, where he's able to really figure out where to go with his product or with his service. And he's doing it for other companies, because a lot of times you can go on a certain channel, as you brought up even with your podcast, where it might not be that effective or people that are looking to view whatever your subject matter is is that there isn't that many people on that network that really give a hoot or are really find that to be where they would look it up that's why we even talked about that you have to maybe diversify to as many channels as you can and get your podcasts and building up clientele and build building up usage and you might have to again come up with promoting it on a lot of channels until you see really what connects. I think that someone that can walk through the maze and know all the right directions, I think takes a lot of experience and know-how, and that has to be developed by whoever is doing it. And it's giving some subtle hints, as Eli has done, I think is very helpful. But I think a lot of it, you have to experience yourself.
1: Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and tune in. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash Better Call Daddy. At Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com.